Welcome to Erotic Awakening with Dan and Dawn, a weekly view of all things erotic. From BDSM to erotic spirituality, from swinging as a lifestyle to simply fun kink, each week we bring you a diverse offering of erotic and alternative lifestyles in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics. This podcast is intended for consenting adults over the age of 18. If you are offended by this type of content, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Dan. Well, here it is, another podcast. I think we're on episode 80 or 81 now. Something crazy like that. We're moving right along. We might are. Be, might be 79, 80s next. Something uh, who like knows? that. Yeah, we're up there. Either way, today we are going to be talking a little history. Yes. Now, one of my favorite non-kink podcasts is History According to Bob. Mm-hmm. And he does a little 10-minute history of the world. Could be anything from uh, famous cowboys. To Cleopatra. To Cleopatra. To French wars. To things I've never heard of. But today we're <laughs> going to talk specifically about the history of BDSM. BDSM. Mm-hmm. We have Peter Tupper on, who uh, runs a website called History of BDSM. Nice. And he's going to fill us in on a little background how we got where we're at. Sounds like a plan. But before we get there, uh, we have all kinds of stuff going on. <laughs> we have actually a table full of stuff. It's Christmas. It's, it is like Christmas. <laughs> you told me earlier today we got a package in the mail, and I hadn't remembered ordering anything. Uh-uh. But we got it out, and here's what we got. So we got something from Sex is Fun, and it's actually um, four different card games. So the one I'm looking at, well, there's two here. There's uh, The Adventures of Dick and Virginia. And then there's another one called Unpredictable. And Unpredictable says, draw some cards, and before you know it, you and your partner or partners will be groping and grinding just like you were greased up teenagers hopped up on horny goat weed. The best part is you have no idea what you're going to get when you play. Unpredictable. I've got Super Thoughts and Actions Daredevil, the adult party (laughs) game that gets everybody thinking, talking, and laughing about sex. Nice. Uh, another one I've got in my hand here is called Swing Sets. And I'm going to, so Swing Sets, a card game. Yeah. It's, uh, you draw different cards, and we haven't figured out how to play yet. We no, just, just we got just these in the mail. Open them. But for example, if you pulled this card, it says Blind Guess. Get blindfolded and have two other players <gasps> expose themselves to you. Ooh. If you can correctly identify <laughs> each of the players from feeling only their genitalia, <laughs> you get the points. <laughs> so. I like that one. So we have four games here, mm-hmm. and I think what we're going to do is we are going to... Uh, the, now, the reason they sent us these games was so that we could do reviews for them. Right. And we're going to do... And I, and I responded by saying, you know, we would love to do reviews for you, but they're going to be pretty honest reviews. That's why we don't take... Um, you know, that's why we don't <laughs> plug people for money and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, and if, if these games are not our cup of tea, we're going to say, well, we reviewed this game. It's not our cup of tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From the looks of these things so far, that's not going to be have an You issue. should see the pictures on mine. <laughs> I don't have pictures. Oh, I oh, do have look. pictures. I might have to keep these. There's backdoor Betty. Oh, reverse cowgirl. <laughs> I've never done reverse. Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah, you have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the hat, though. I, I would have to have oh, the cowgirl yeah. hat. Ooh, Tucan Chew. <laughs> <laughs> So what we're going to do over the next four weeks, each week we will review a different one of these games. Mm-hmm. Or, podcast listeners, if you are local podcast listeners and you want to be, uh, you want to review one of these for us. 
Or with us. <laughs> with us. Or if you don't want to, maybe, you know, a swing set, obviously, is something you play with other people. Right. Um, some of these are a little more tame than others. So if you want to review one of these on your own, you want to take it home and review it, great. And just come back and tell us, hey, here's how it was for us. Mm-hmm. If it's a party game that you want to play with us. Um, invite us to the party and let's play. Hell, well, <laughs> hell yeah, they're going to invite us. We got the damn game. There you go. So uh, over the next couple of weeks, you'll be hearing more about these games that we've gotten from Sex is Fun. And um, should be fun to explore them at least. I think so. They look awesome. I also wanted to mention real quick, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about having the travel basket. And we talked about, um, and just to recap really quickly, people donated things to the travel basket. Mm -hmm. We took the travel basket to Great Lakes Leather Alliance. And the travel basket actually ended up being one of the highest dollar, if not the highest dollar Mm -hmm. travel baskets ever. That's what we hear. We wanted to continue to say thank you to everybody who donated. And we've updated the travel basket page at this point. And... um, most of the podcast, most of the sex-based podcast or the educational podcast that I listen to uh, ask for money. Hey, if you want to support us, give us some money. That's, right. That's fine. And we may take that path as our financial situation changes. Mm-hmm. We're not taking that path today. What I will ask people to do, if you want to support us, head over to the Travel Basket page. Take a look at some of those groups and people that donated mm-hmm. to our Travel Basket. Mm-hmm. And when you think, hey, you know what? I need a new flogger. Go out to that page and you'll see that there's a couple people who donated flog, uh, floggers to right, us right. that could sell you a flogger. And maybe you'll take oh, a look at their stuff. And it's awesome stuff, too. So everything that was donated was was really great. Yep. I, I may have to order one myself <laughs> that was donated. Because <laughs> we don't have enough toys? Is yeah, that the, but it was pretty. Uh, the purple one, <laughs> the clearly. The purple one. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to mention that. And again, just a thank you to everybody who uh, donated to the Travel Basket. It's um, It's really humbling to have people mm-hmm. support you that way. so Absolutely. Other than that, uh, what else have we been doing lately? Well, we actually went to a party. We had a free night. <laughs> we had a free night and went to Cleveland, so to the smart party. And what did we present on? Nothing. Yes. <laughs> we played. <laughs> we went to a party for this. Well, although we did, uh, fortunately, we got to uh, spend some time with um, mm-hmm. Amber the Rope Slut rope sluts mm-hmm. and had dinner with her and her partner mm-hmm. and we were just actually we're you're this is the second time we're gonna have to record this we just outed her partner and then we realized <laughs> we should probably ask him first if that's probably appropriate. so yes uh but he does make a hell of a pork chop yes mm-hmm. with peach barbecue sauce yeah that was awesome oh, it was it was good and then uh all of us went to the uh the smart, smart first friday first mm-hmm. friday play party yes. and that's where they allow a little more extreme type stuff Yes, and it was it was great. We got to watch a lot of people and meet up with people that we knew and old friends and met some new people mm-hmm. and got to play. Yes, and uh, like I said, it, it was nice. We love presenting. Mm-hmm. We love going to workshops and present, you know, and presenting things and going to events and doing three or four presentations. Um, but it was really nice to go to a play party where there was no expectations of us to do anything. Nope, though. We did get to show off our new leather patches. That's true. Our GLLA Master and Slave back patches. Yes. And uh, quite proud to wear those. Mm -hmm. And quite uh, happy to be able to point out, uh, again, coming back, many of the people from that travel basket donations are just supporting us in a variety of ways to be able to say, hey, look what we did. Yes. You know, because you and I certainly didn't do that on our own. No, no. We had the support of everybody. So it was just great. So... 
as much as we like going to events and not doing anything, mm-hmm. that's not <laughs> the case coming up. No, we have um, something going on two weekends from now that yep. is going to keep us hopping, hopping, hopping. The Central Ohio Perversion Excursion, which mm-hmm. is uh, put on by the Adventures in Sexuality Group here in Central Ohio. 300 plus tickets sold out quicker than did we oh, spit. Yeah. That's, that's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I like that phrase. <laughs> and uh, between you and myself and Karen, we will be setting up the Scarlet Sanctuary yes. on Friday night. And we'll be running that and doing... Uh, Tell me about the Scarlet Sanctuary, Don. What is it actually that we do there? The Scarlet Sanctuary? Well, there's um, us three, plus we have some volunteers Mm -hmm. and um, some uh, good old faithfuls that keep coming back and helping us out. And it is a space that's set aside for um, sacred touch. Mm -hmm. So it's a form of sacred sexuality that we bring to some of these events. And we run, God, there's probably like 40 people that come through it, but it's very hard to describe. It's, uh, it's not massage, but it's touch Mm -hmm. and it can be sensual touch. So some people, everybody has different reactions to it. Some people giggle, some people, a lot of people zone out and meditate and just accept the touch Mm -hmm. and it's done in a loving manner. And we get a lot of great feedback. This yep. is something that's very much looked forward to from event to event. Some people get uh, rather turned on and some people get their, their walls dropped. And, and like you said, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to explain what it's going to be like for you until you right. actually encounter it yourself. Right. And even the people that have been through it will try to explain it to somebody else. And they're like, no, no, you've just got to try it. Just come in. Yep. So uh, we'll be doing that in two weeks to find out more about... The Scarlet Sanctuary or or Central Ohio Perversion Excursion, mm-hmm. head over to adventuresinsexuality.org. So, Dawn, this week, the, uh, the question of the day <laughs> is an uh, interesting one, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, what is the question of the day? The question of the day is, what is Dan's kink? Now, I remember not too long ago on the show, we went you through your... You put me on yes. the spot, yes. <laughs> and it's really interesting. If you go through my FetLife profile, you don't really get an idea of what my kink is. Mm-mm. You get an idea of some of the things that I find appealing. Right. Um, but my real kink is, and I just explained this to someone uh, not too long ago, and mm-hmm. they did not respond to me whatsoever. <laughs> I haven't heard from them for weeks after that, <laughs> so, which is fine, is um, simply... Being able to help other people explore their kink. Yes. This has always been my thing where I've been turned on by turning on other people. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't really have this specific kink of my own, right? I, don't, I like certain things. Certain things bring me pleasure. But overall, having somebody say, you know what? I'm new to the lifestyle or I'm an old, old hand, right? I've been right. around for a while, but I've never found anybody that I trust to spank me. Mm-hmm. Or I've never been any, with anybody who's been willing to talk dirty to me. Right. Or whatever it is, right? And just helping people explore what it is that turns them on, you know? So um, in, a, in a trusting manner. And I, I know very much um, people like to play with you because they can trust you. So yeah, you yeah, help pull out that little vulnerable piece and have them look at it and then play with it. Hmm. So that's really interesting to watch. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of, um, of people allowing themselves to 
express that sexuality mm-hmm. or that sensuality or that kink or whatever it is. You know, if uh, I mean, there's so many times I've played with people who, you know, they're like uh, they want to play with me. Like, oh, what do you want to do? Well, I like I guess I like flogging. Right. OK, well, everybody likes flogging and I'm a good flogger. I'm skilled mm-hmm. at using yes, the floggers. you are. <laughs> you know, but it's really not that big a thrill for me to give somebody a flogging and have them go, oh, boy, that was a nice flogging, right? So I want more than just this physical interaction, you know. Um, something where they really, it's vulnerability, it's yeah. trust. That's the kind of things you that really get do, me juicy. Yeah, you don't do very well as a top where it's just a physical thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I can see that. Yeah, I want to yeah. get a little deeper. I want to exactly. get into more of a, a connection with somebody. And as such, it's, it's, you know, it's funny, not too long ago, I kind of thought of myself, man, this sucks. I know people, I'm sure there's going to be people at COPE. I can name mm-hmm. two or three people at COPE that I can think of that are probably going to have five or six play sessions during the event. Right. And, uh, you know, I used to look at that and go, man, I wish I could do that. I wish mm-hmm. I could just, you know, connect with people and have a great scene and then go, okay, that was a great scene. I'll see you later. And go on to the next person and... Um, no, I don't see you ever <laughs> doing that. Yeah. So no, I don't ever see you doing that. And I, you are who you are. So that's awesome. But if you had to pick a kink, is there one out there that kind of speaks to you? Hmm. <laughs> I know you like spanking because I it's like- very sensual. Giving well. spanking. Let's be clear about that. Yes. I like giving spanking. <laughs> um, I like... You know, I think um, it would have to be rough body play, I think, is the thing for me. I think that, mm-hmm. um, you know, really... Because then you can let the, your own walls down and interact and growl and such. <laughs> uh, I guess that would be it. But, you know, ask me tomorrow and I might say... Right, um, pirate and wench play. So, Ooh, we have to try that. So. Yeah, I could actually maybe pop up in one of these games and say, "Oh <laughs> shit, I found something brand new." So what I'm hearing is is that it could change from person to person because I know with when you play with me, it's sometimes we do sensual stuff, but it's rough body play mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, <laughs> you've been poking my bruises from Friday night's party. But uh, yeah, I can see how it could be different with each person too. Mm-hmm. So depending on what their thing is. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so that's the question of the day. That's the question of the day. If you have a question <laughs> of the day and you would like to find out something either uh, personal about Dawn and I or something more generic like where can I find the best sales on latex. Or glass or, dildos. No. <laughs> or glass dildos or how do I help my partner uh, break into the world of cross-dressing mm-hmm. or whatever. You can get a hold of us in a variety of ways. Yep, a variety of ways. So there is Dan and Dawn at eroticawakening.com by the, email. The got comment form on the webpage. Facebook at Erotic Awakening. Voicemail is 206-309-0054. Fet Life is Erotic Awakening. Two, Two words. words. And on Twitter, thanks to our Twitter horror slave gem, Dan and Dawn. And I would have to also mention one of the reasons people contact us is to write us the occasional piece of fan mail. And uh, we got one not too long ago that made you cry. It did. It made me cry in a good way, though. Yes. In a really good way. So, um, again, 
you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, we, and, I, and what I told you at that time when we first read that, and it was mm-hmm. just somebody who said, you know, I have this, I'm not going to reread their email t- without permission, but they say basically, well, I've, we've had a long-term loving relationship, but this, right. the spark kind of fizzled. Mm-hmm. And we listened to your show and we got the spark back. Yes, they tried something new mm-hmm. specifically and it brought the spark back. And yeah, that just kind of makes your heart go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> And I think what what I told you at that time is, um, you know, these five months from now when we run for the international master and slave mm-hmm. contest, it doesn't matter. No. And, and and if you're a judge at that contest, don't listen too closely to this. But the reality <laughs> is it does not matter. We are already doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're reaching out to the people that are supposed to hear us. Right. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's... Uh, just been such a wonderful experience for us to be able to reach out to people as we present. You know, when you do a presentation for a class of 30 people and after the class you have four or five people come up to you and say, man, that's, you know, just what I needed to hear. You know, Mm -hmm. it's nice to know that I'm not the only one that has these feelings or thinks this way. Yes. You know, and now the the podcast is allowing us to reach a larger audience. It is. And and we are getting the the emails. And I just got another one recently that said, ooh, it sounds like you've been through this before. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. And yeah. and they know this because we're out there and we're talking about it. So, yeah, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. So from here, we're going to go into tonight's uh, interview. We have uh, Peter Tupper, and mm-hmm. he's going to be talking to us about the history of BDSM. Yes. Uh, I do want to point out, though, before we get into that, that there's a point in the conversation where we talk about this thing that happened in Columbus. Oh, that's right. And you and I were like, oh, my God, right here in our own backyard. I and can't we didn't it. know. Yeah. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> How could I have not known about this? I can't wait to interview someone. Um, and then after, after the interview, we did do a little digging. We found out that it is a different Columbus. It's not mm-hmm. our home Columbus where this happened. So just wanted to point that out. <laughs> that's good. So um, without further ado. Uh, here is Peter Tupper and the history of BDSM. I should have pumped you mm. up some coffee. I know. Where's my damn coffee, woman? Where's I could do a blood job. No. Nope. That would pump me up, too. <laughs> Tonight we are sitting here with Peter Tupper. Peter, thank you for uh, coming on the show with us. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Don. It's good to be here. My understanding is you are the creator of the History of BDSM blog. Is that correct? That is correct. And you've got all kinds of stuff on there, not just from a history standpoint, but also reflects some of the current events as well. My understanding is that your goal is to turn this blog into a, into a book format of some sort. Yeah, that's my plan. Um, I think that there's a, a real lack of coverage of this information because I think, like, I have a BA in history from UBC from a few years ago, and one of the things I noticed when I was getting into the scene is that um, whenever I sort of asked about where all this came from, I sort of got, people sort of had a tendency to hand wave they said, okay, well, there was the Marquis de Sade, and there was all this, and the Christian Fodulence, and they sort of name-checked the same names over and over again. But there wasn't really like a sort of a coherent history, like a, a coherent story that told like where this came from, how it ended up what it is today. And I was trying to fill in the gaps with um, you know, telling this story that I don't think has ever been told, or at least not told in one sort of one coherent narrative. Okay. So when you started to explore, did you find there, there truly is a definitive history, that there's a beginning? Well, no, the beginning, that's a tricky thing, because if I've learned anything doing this, is that the history of SM is not about straight lines. It's all about sort of reflections and parodies and imitations and um, 
people influencing each other and people sort of misunderstanding each other and people reading things into things that didn't necessarily, their creator didn't want to be there. So it's hard to identify a particular point at, of beginning. Um, I can certainly like identify what I, one of, one of the first consensual um, documented SM relationships. Ooh, that would be yeah. awesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, going back to about, uh, this started in 1854. And there was a man named Arthur Munby, and he was a, uh, basically a bureaucrat and a minor poet. And he had this very interesting little hobby that he would go – he lived in, in England in the 19th century. And there's this very interesting little hobby that he would go out on the streets and explore the city, and he would talk – he was absolutely fascinated with working-class women. And he would find these women who did all this hard, dirty labor, you know, charwomen and milkmaids and women who were the total opposite of the Victorian ideal. And he wanted women who were dirty, who were strong, who were big, who were powerful, physically powerful, but also sort of innocent in a way. Mm -hmm. Right. And he uh, collected information about them. He made notes about them. He collected like 600 photographs of them. And uh, he actually, one of them was a woman named Hannah Culwick, uh, who fit his type to a T. She was a very big, very strong woman who worked as a maid of all work. And uh, they began a master-slave relationship. She would wear a leather, she wore a chain collar around her neck uh, and a leather wrist strap. Um, she would send uh, letters on a daily basis to him, telling him about all the, you know, the very back-breaking physical work she did as a maid. Um, <coughs> she did all kinds of, and, uh, he would, she would call him Massa, Massa. Then, okay. as in master, but, uh, very much in based on the, on the, uh, sort of Southern American slave dialect. Now you understand this is back in America in the, the, the relationship began in 1854. And this is when, you know, slavery was still re- practiced in, in the American South. So, um, they had, yeah, and they this lasted, uh, let's see, for a good 19 years. Uh, they uh, married in 1877. No, 1870, no, they married in 1873, and they broke up in 1877. And they both kept extensive diaries of uh, their lives and their experiences, and those were held in an archive after their death, and it was only sort of released to the public in uh, the 1950s. So we have a very intimate detail on a consensual master-slave relationship over 150 years ago. But even, I think if we go further back in history, and here's some of the stuff that I've heard people tell me is the beginning of BDSM, and I'm curious if if you think this is related to BDSM at all, or just, you know, people beating themselves up. Uh, How about those those crazy monks that used to whip themselves? Self-flagellate. Yeah. Okay. You could put that in the history of BDSM, or is that just crazy? Oh, I'm going to stuff? include it, but but that that is part of it. But that you see, that's you see. To me, BDSM has to be outside of a religious context, or at least you know primarily outside of a religious context. So people, there's you know, if you look in in religious practice all over the world, there's people doing flagellation, suspension, piercing, fasting, all kinds of stuff like that, and it's practiced in many different religions around the world and throughout time. Um, now, in in terms of the Christian flagellants, there was something that, that was kind of interesting happened, because um, 
the Christian flagellants uh, were a sort of a very radical movement in the Middle Ages, and they were had a very aggressive um, sort of eat the rich philosophy. I mean, if you can imagine, you know, you're a rich guy in medieval Europe, and you wake up one morning, and there's like a hundred guys bare-chested surrounding your house, beating themselves bloody, um, and, you know, shouting revolutionary slogans, you'd be scared. I would. Yeah. <laughs> or excited. Now, I'm not sure. That sounds like a fantasy in some of my more darker times. Um, go ahead. But what is but you see now but you see the the opponents of these of these groups the people in the orthodox church uh or you know were very were very anxious about this and one of the ways that they attacked these movements is by asserting that this was not a religious practice that this was a sexual practice that this was the lower discipline and that it would that it would stimulate unnatural lusts so you see, to the Christian flagellants, this was a religious practice. It was practically a sacrament for them. For the critics, it became a, an abomination, a sexual perversion. And a classic way of attacking your political or social or religious opponents is accusing them of sexual perversity. Now, in fact, uh, I think in the 1300s, uh, one of the popes officially banned uh, flagellation, flagellant, lay flagellant companies of Christian lay people. And so flagellation sort of dropped out of mainstream Christian practice. It was, it's always been ambivalent. And it, at a certain point, maybe a few hundred years later, that it started becoming a sexual thing. And it, in part, it became a sexual thing um, because uh, it was the mainstream Christian philosophy had a hard time with it. And they would sort of discredit it by associating it with sexuality. Meanwhile, other people uh, took it up as a sexual practice. Like even in the, the 1500s, you had accounts of people who needed to be sexually, um, who needed to be flogged uh, to be uh, to be aroused. And people would have, so it was a common assumption that you know these old men, decrepit old men, uh, were so burnt out and so cold in terms of their anatomy that they needed this actual stim extra stimulus uh, to be. To just get it up. Wow. This is like so, fascinating stuff. I mean, is this the type of stuff I know um, that you present at different places? Is this the type of stuff that you cover in your presentations? Yes, it is. Awesome. So what, yeah. where are some of the places that you've um, presented at? Uh, I've been at UBC, uh, University of British Columbia. I've presented at the Art of Loving store in uh, in Vancouver, which is a very good place, and they do lots of educational stuff. Uh, I've also presented at uh, the Center for Sex Positive Culture in Seattle, which is an awesome establishment, and I very much hope that we get something like that here in Vancouver someday. Oh, I'd love to get something like that here, too. So I'm going to yeah. get out there and visit that place as well. <laughs> oh, yes, they're great people. So what is the uh, the truth with the Mark side? Is he really the granddaddy of all BDSM, and we should be all revering him, or was he actually just kind a of creep. a perv and a creep? <laughs> well, Saad is an interesting character. You got to understand is that um, the, the the legend of Saad has really eclipsed the man, even sort of like during his life. You got to remember that this man spent the bulk of his life of his of his adult life incarcerated, and you know, sort of brief periods outside. So, you know, even of the people who sort of 
followed him, he sort of was more legend than man. And he was sort of the, the almost the archetype of uh, the romantic, you know, artist at odds with, with reality and at odds with a corrupt society. And um, some people, you know, sort of even in the 19th century, some people lauded him as, as this, you know, uh, Byronic anti-hero, and even though he, pro- in reality, he was a bit un- un- unimpressive. Um, like uh, Al- Algernon Charles Swinburne, who was an English poet in the late 19th century, and also a flagellant and um, cat sadomasochist, uh, he once said that it, once he actually got a whole, was able to read some of Saad, and which is not easy to do back then because the books were often banned and or you know or expurgated. He said. You know, he said something like, geez, a six-year-old girl could come up with scarier stuff than this. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> um, I think Saad is important because he sort of took existing ideas to their sort of irrational extreme. Um, there were certainly, like, he sort of came out of the mid-18th century concept of libertines and that culture. And um, sort of the 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 uh, flagellation and other type of material that came out back then was in, in large part sort of an anti-clerical part of the anti-clericalism. Like they would, you know, it was a very common assumption that accusation that uh, church practices were inherently sexually perverse that, you know, for instance, that, uh, you know, they opposed the ideas of nunneries on the grounds that this, you know, created an atmosphere for sexual perversity, that nuns were exploited by priests and monks uh, that monks, priests wanted to get into bourgeois families and start, you know, molesting the daughters and things like that. Like I said, the best way to attack, a classic way of attacking at your political enemies is accusing, the, accusing them of sexual perversity. Um, there's a fascinating book called uh, Therese Philosoph, which is a, a materialist, um, it's, it's both pornographic and philosophic, and there wasn't really a strong boundary between the two back then. And uh, this was basically sort of an erotic adventure of a woman named Therese who was introduced to sexual, you know, enlightenment along with materialist philosophy. And two of the minor characters in the book are, uh, let's see, let's see, Cadier and, no, Eridis and uh, Father Dirag. And they were based, those two characters were based on a real life uh, couple of a priest and a young uh, bourgeois woman. Who, was, who had a sexual relationship. And this was in real life, and this was a highly publicized uh, court case in France in the 1730s, where, um, so this was all about, you know, this sort of heated, allegedly heated hothouse sexual atmosphere between Catholic priests and uh, laywomen. So again, this is like, you, you end up with sort of reality and it becomes parodied at a certain point. And real life incidents, which in real life were probably not very much fun and probably much more exploitative than anything, um, become uh, sort of a fodder for sexual fantasies and sadomasochistic fantasies, especially. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. if, if I were to go over, or other listeners go over to History of BDSM, your blog, what kind of stuff, is this the kind of stuff that you cover? Are you all over the place or is it more of a in the beginning to the present? What kind of approach are you taking with the blog? Well, I'm, it's, re, it's research as I go. So it's all very, you know, this bouncing around back and forth in time. And 
uh, trying to tease out. It's, it's uh, more archaeological than than uh, anything oh. else. You know, you've got to sort of um, dig deep and find and try to trace back to different things. And um, you turn up some, you know, really bizarre connections here uh, and there. Oh, oh, all right. Give us a bizarre connection. What's the most bizarre thing you've come across or the one that made you go, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. In whatever historians... I'm sure historians have a much more clean way of saying it. I'm sure historians say what the fuck. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, now, the, the what I consider to be sort of the Rosetta Stone, the, the big turning point of SM history, um, was the connection between real-life slavery in America and sort of the eroticized version you see practice in... in uh, in like in the relationship of Hannah Colwick and Arthur Munby, and uh, even to this day, and so in the mid nineteenth century, there were a ton of books called about uh, slavery written in America and published all over the world, and uh, one of them was called Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, which was written by a freed slave named Harriet Jacobs, and she wrote her under a pen name of Linda Brent. Now, um, Incidents in the Life of the Slave Girl was very, very frank about the sexual nature of slavery. And this is not a terribly fun topic. I, I just need to preface this. Um, but it is important to the history here. And, you know, it was, it was not it, – it, she was very frank about the possible – almost constant threat of rape and that there was, you know, sexual um, exploitation across the color line in America at the time. Um, now – this was published in 1861 and was available in the UK in 1862. Um, now, in 1882, 20 years later, there was a uh, sexualized parody called The Secret Life of Linda Brent. So they took a real-life autobiog autobiographical account of slavery as it was experienced by a slave and made a, a X-rated parody of it using the same name. It was uh, published... It was written by. Uh, it was not. I'm not sure if it was written by George Lazenby. It was published by him. It was one of the big name in uh, publishing erotica and pornography in the England in the 19th century, and um, so that was sort of the turning. That, to my mind, is sort of the the classic point at which the the very familiar genre of the slave narrative gets parodied over by. Uh, pornographers and pornographers, you know, are kind of outside literature, and they love parodying, and they'll parody Star Trek or whatever, and oh, they'll even parody real life things like that whole Nalen Palin video that was out a few years ago, and so that's where it starts. So that you can identify, that's where it started, and that sort of led to a whole genre of of uh, master slave type, you know, relationship of master slave literature that pornographic literature and that's where it sort of it drew on the pre-existing real life incident of slavery but it happened it largely grew up in england and uh you know decades after slavery had been abolished in america so in a sense it was sort of back then and over there so it wasn't quite a direct sense of sort of looking backwards looking at something that was happening right now and getting using it as fodder for sexual fantasies, so it was it was always sort of back then and over there for the English people. Now the interesting thing is is that um, Samuel Beaton, who was uh, a publisher of erotic of uh, magazines called um, English Women's Domestic Month magazine, yeah, 
And that was uh, – the Spycat picture of that was Mrs. Beaton, who was sort of the Martha Stewart of the 19th century. Now, he – in uh, after she died, um, Sam Beaton, who was the publisher of the magazine, he went on this bizarre kick of uh, – this started about 1877. He went on this bizarre kick of publishing – uh, all these fetishistic letters in his magazine. And these were full of things like um, flagellation, forced cross-dressing of children, of foot fetish, shoe fetish. So this is like, you know, you're reading through this magazine, you're reading recipes, you're reading editorials, and all of a sudden you're in letters about, you know, is it socially acceptable to flog children? And, and here's the secret school hidden away in some little mansion out in the English countryside where, you know, women are tight laced down to like 16 inches and flogged. And, you know, you know I'm sure you know the idea. So this was published in like a mainstream magazine, and it is just... Um, I have, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's anybody's guess whether these were written by people outside or he just had like somebody in the back scribbling these things down. But, um, yeah, he was beaten, you know, wrote these for about a, a three year period. And I'm, you know, it's debatable whether he always wanted to do this or he just didn't care after his wife died. Uh, now at a certain point, beaten, uh, wanted to do a deal where he would publish um, Uncle Tom's Cabin in, Eng- in England, which was a classic slave narrative. Right. And uh, which was written out. You see, this is what I mean by there's no straight lines in this. It's all about counter-influence and, and cross-pollination and reflection and parody. So now because at the time there was no law, copyright law shared between uh, England and America, it was perfectly legal to pirate stuff from America and publish it in England and vice versa. Uh, what Beaton did is that he went over to America to meet Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, mm-hmm. which was a uh, slave narrative, as which was the kind of thing that gave, you know, was the inspiration for this all this other stuff, that pornographic stuff that was published later. And he wanted to actually, you know, give her... Uh, approach her about getting the rights to publish legitimately the authorized edition of, of Uncle Tom's Cabin in the England. Now, uh, she was actually pretty happy about this, but this is Harriet Beecher Stowe, but she was very upset when he, she saw um, the illustrations that were going to go with this. Uh-oh. Now, because a lot, even though the, in Uncle Tom's Cabin, the original book, there's actually very, very little sex. Um, it's all very circumspect about that. All the other publisher, a lot of the publishers and the unauthorized publishers would publish editions of this that had very, uh, well, not terribly explicit, but much more sexually uh, erotic images of women being beaten, women being tied up, threatened with rape and things like this. So this was all, so there was, you know, the even though people who wanted to write about sex, about uh, the evils of slavery there were people sort of waiting in the wings who would step forward and eroticize it and almost immediately. Yeah, it just seems, I don't know, it's just touching me as a little disrespectful, but I guess that happens everywhere. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, it, it's, you know, reading this has sort of made me a little uncomfortable with the master-slave terminology you hear so much in the scene. Mm-hmm. And, but it's something, but I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, and I think people are going to keep on using this. So I try to, you know, tell people, but I don't try to finger wag at people about it. Well, let me ask you, I mean, I mean, there's, there's tons of other stuff we could talk about. I'd love to hear more, uh, find out more about Betty page, for example. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of the, uh, how swinging 
this kind of came together with the leather master slave and where we've got BDSM leather master slave situations, which different from the leather, and on and on. But uh, let me ask you one last question for now. Is sure. by knowing our history, we so maybe we know our do we know our future? And by that I mean if we look at what happened with the gay community, you know, it used mm -hmm. to be they were in the closet, they were very underground, and they were persecuted, and they came forward and fought for their rights, and now they're an accepted member of society. Transgender community, the same way. Do you see the BDSM community ever following that path? And the cat just was really upset about this, clearly, as you can get in the background. Well, um, I think it's going to follow a similar trajectory, not exactly the same, but a similar trajectory. And uh, I think, you know, looking back, um, I think that we're, we're, there's a similar thing, like worrying about the pathologization of it. Um, like just today, I was reading about this case in Columbus, Ohio. Uh -oh. uh, a woman, that's did you hear our, about that? Oh, <laughs> no, I don't, we haven't heard of it, but that's our, that's where we live. <laughs> oh, we're broadcasting. Um, this just apparently just happened recently is that a woman named, uh, was fired from the Columbus, um, unless there's another Columbus out there in the state somewhere. Uh, someone was, a woman was fired from her job as a security guard by the, uh, Columbus school district schools as a school security guard. Uh, apparently because somebody fingered her as a Lady Samaran or something like that on her blog and her Caller Me profile. And um, now I think this is very much analogous to the, how it would have been a few decades ago about that a person would have been, you know, even inadvertently outed from, and losing her his or her job. Uh, you know, a gay person or a lesbian person being outed as a uh, being outed and losing her job, his or her job working uh, in a school school type occupation. Um, these days, I think that there would be a that if that did happen, people would have there would be lawsuits, there would be objections, it would be a human rights uh, case. You'd have the ACLU involved. Um, you know, I think that these days people would not be fired for from that kind of thing just because they happen to be gay. Uh, like, you know, today the person was fired and it's a lot harder sell um, to make, you know, it's a hard sell at this point in history to make people that people can be kinky and uh, not suffer in terms of like children's custody, in terms of jobs, in terms of um, things like that. So I think, yeah, we're still we're on that path, I think, um, unless something goes you know horribly wrong. And we wind up living in the Handmaid's Tale or something like that. I think that sooner or later people will work towards a more open-minded view of of um, human nature, human sexuality, and uh, I think that at some point kink will be more socially accepted. We either because it develops sort of an identity, uh, a politicized identity, the way gay does, or people move to a more uh, you have a right to, you know, take it from a human rights perspective, and you have rights to do with yourself as you wish. Um, that's where I think kink is right now. But I still think that there are are problems. Uh, still, a lot of issues like you know that one, that person in uh, Columbus who got fired. Okay, very cool. All right. Well, um, what can people find out more about the history of BDSM and about Peter Tupper? Historyofbdsm.com. 
Awesome. That's simple enough. <laughs> yes. yep. Can't miss that. All right. Well, Peter, thank you very much for being on the show today. I appreciate being a little more enlightened than I was a moment ago. And sure. um, I think Don and I are going to go try and make some history ourselves. <laughs> Good for you. Okay. Coming up next week. Pets. Bye, Don. Bye, Dan. Erotic Awakening is proud to support the Leather Heart Foundation, a nonprofit organization created to provide charitable assistance to individuals of all sexual orientations in the leather, BDSM, and fetish community. You can donate or find out more at leatherheart.org. Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's kinky fun group. Find out more at adventuresinsexuality.org. Sarah Sloan appears on Erotic Awakening courtesy of Love Your Parties. Find out more about Love Your Parties and Sarah Sloan at www.sarahsloan.net. Music heard on Erotic Awakening, Free by White Knight, Strawberry Jam by Jerry Bradley, and Wanda by 31D1 is provided from the Podshow Podsafe Network. More information can be found at music.podshow.com.